Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. It's good to be together today. Thanks for braving the weather, those of you who are here in person. And uh, there's something about a snowy day, though, that it's just great to come inside with family and feel the warmth, isn't it? And just sense that uh, closeness. And then the, uh, those of you who are online, well, uh, welcome to you. Thanks for being with us, maybe in your living room, but also I know a number of you are down south. And these are the days that we say that was a good decision to head south. But, uh, but we get to build snowmen and have snowball fights and looking forward to that. But good to be together. I do uh, a couple people to thank. One, our team that gets the sidewalks all ready and, and clear for us whenever we do have weather. And Eric Lyon, I know, is, is on that team as well as others. But so appreciate that team, our snow removal team, as well as there's a group of people who have uh, since COVID have jumped in and served. And it's our team that's uh, overseeing our online service and from the video component as well as the welcoming team. And Abby Bickle has put together a team of people, Ryan Oppie, I know, uh, Kelly Hassler, Tam, as well. They're online while this is out, just connecting with the body who are worshiping with us online. So appreciate them and, and, uh, and their ministry. But today we're excited to welcome a, a new family into our church family. One of the prayers that I pray, our, our team leadership team prays personally, I pray, Lord, would you uh, bring to us this ministry year 100 new Love Big teammates who may not have a church home that can jump in and, and help us accomplish the mission that, that you're calling us to, and also receive the grace that, that God has for you. And, and uh, today we get to welcome the Slack family as part of the answer to that prayer. They come up from Texas. And from uh, Houston area, Eric's job brought him up here several years ago. And Eric is, has been successful in his day job. But his real passion, if you know Eric, is hunting, which you can tell by the garb and, and kind of where they're at. And what, you, what I told Eric this morning in the first service, if you look really close at that picture, there's a 12-point buck photobombing. And he's just grinning at Eric like, miss me. Can you see him back there? Not really, but uh, <laughs> I had Eric looking anyway. But, uh, and then Tracy, his wife, is a, uh, she has her degree in, or master's in school administration, but also teaching and, and teaches fifth grade here in Danville and just loves on our kids uh, day by day and so appreciate her ministry and also in our kids' ministry is active in that. And then Tyler, their son, graduated last year from high school, and he's now serving in the Army. So we're praying for him. He got through basic, and he's, uh, his pursuit right now is an aircraft structural repairman, but his goal is to fly helicopters like Skip Budney. So we need to see how that plays out for him. And then Allie is a junior in high school, part of our student ministry, and she is, uh, loves to dance and competitive dance. She's part of a, a dance uh, academy and hopes to after high school go on to be a physician's assistant and be part of the the medical community but it was neat to get with them a couple weeks ago and just sit down at their kitchen table and hear their stories of how God opened their eyes to the beauty of the gospel and his love for them through Christ and what Jesus did for them on the cross and 
they each um, shared it was uh, Eric had a rough upbringing and really neat story though as a young man age 14 15 he trusted Christ as his savior and the picture of a guy whose heart's been changed but also he's leading his family towards Christ and pretty neat um, just seeing um, a lot to his story that I don't have time to get into but if you have a chance to talk with him he'd love to share and then Tracy accepted Christ as a young girl at BBS and so kids ministry had a part in her life and I think that's part of her passion for for kids ministry and then both Tyler and Allie are trusting Jesus as their savior and they've all followed him in baptism and are just excited to join our church family today so would you join me in welcoming them thanking the Lord for them and and uh, you may be wondering you know or if you don't have a church home um, you know is there a place here for you and the answer is yes 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 we have a place for you on our roster and would love to have you be part of our team and if you're new to following Jesus you may be wondering okay what is this thing of, of joining a church like why why do we do that and the neat picture for me is understanding really that could say the theology behind it but when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we trust him as Savior we are saved into his family really neat picture so joining a church family is really an external step of a spiritual reality that's already taken place we're part of his church we're the, and the church is not a place you go to it's it's the ecclesia it's the gathering of his people called out ones who who uh, are following him another picture that's helpful for me is the picture of a body and the church is the body of Christ and literally we're each of us is a member of that like we play a part so how do we do church then in a in a context and locally it just helps if if uh, we make a commitment to each other hey I'm part of this body and and then we serve together neat reality when God has it's God's intention that every one of us as a follower of Jesus has a healthy family isn't that cool like he didn't leave us here as orphans and that's his desire and so as the question changes then from should I why should I join a church to why wouldn't I join a, a church the question though is which church do I join and especially that's a hard question too in this community where we have so many wonderful churches and I, I'm a little bit biased towards Westbridge I think this is the best church ever but um, I also know God's kingdom's way bigger than Westbridge, even, even here in our community, and there's some great churches all around us. So how do you, what church does God want you to be a part of? That's the, the tough question. So that's, we do that prayer, ask that prayerfully, trust him to lead us, but you want to go to a healthy church. You want to be a part of a healthy church. You say, well, what makes a church healthy? And so lots of answers, but the big one is locked in on the, the main things, a church that's Jesus-focused, Bible-based, love-fueled, there's a culture of love, spirit-empowered, sensitive to the Spirit's power and following Him, and then unified around the mission of making disciples that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. So for us, we uh, to help people who are in that process of figuring out, is this the church that God wants me to connect in, we offer a course called Connect 101 that's happening on February the 28th. And it's a four-week course. Would love to have you. No uh, pressure, but, but it just helps you understand who we are, our beliefs, our mission, our vision, our values. And it's a great uh, chance to make new friends, too, as uh, we'll be, we'll be uh, offering that. So excited for that. Would love to have you with us. 
Well, today's a big day as we launch this new message series that's called Follow Me. And Follow Me is our theme for this year. It's the words of Jesus to us. And our prayer is that as we follow him and, and fix our eyes on him through the Luke's account of the life of Christ, that we'll grow in our love for him, but also be equipped to do the good that he's called us to do. So really excited. We start today. We roll through Easter Sunday. It's a neat thought. And you know, uh, have some, I, I hope this news pumps you up as much as it pumped me up, but when I realized where the Lord was leading us this week, today we are going to celebrate Easter. How about that? Easter in January. Can you just feel the warmth and, and smell the flowers? And uh, <laughs> when I heard that, or uh, realized that early on this week, I was like, thank you, Lord, I needed that. And uh, we're going to be, and so the way it's going to work is, we're, Luke is the, the kind of Christ's life. We'll celebrate Easter again in April, but we're going to start at the end of the story, like they do in the movies, you know, the big moment, the end of the story, and then we're going to next week go back three years earlier. This is how this all plays out as Jesus begins his, his journey towards Jerusalem. So our text today is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. I'll give you the big idea, and then we'll, we'll break it down, but the big idea is this. There's one thing one thing that changes everything, and it is living awake to the presence of our risen Lord. Living awake to the presence of our, our risen Lord. Now, as Luke writes and describes the life of Christ for us, something that's unique about Luke that's, that's different from Matthew, Mark, and John is he, he goes into great detail to paint the picture so that we can kind of relive it. He, he writes with color, vivid color, and uh, you can just really relive the scene as he paints it. And so in this moment, we're going to highlight three scenes that he paints. And in each scene, there's a truth to pick up that helps us live awake to the presence of our risen Lord. So we'll get started there in verse 13. He says, now, that same day, you say, which day? It's resurrection day, but it's later in the day. It's later on that Sunday Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So two Jesus followers are leaving town, leaving Jerusalem, and they're talking to, with one another about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them. But they were kept from recognizing him. We don't know if this was God just putting a shield over their eyes or if, you know, it was later in the day we'll learn and maybe they just didn't see him, didn't expect to see him. Verse 17, he asked him, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And so they just stood still, faces downcast. That question just stops them in their tracks. And the, the picture here that Luke paints is just sad. Picture two guys that are just really down. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Like, did you miss the earthquake that happened on Friday and, and all that's been going on in the city? And Jesus says, what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word, like what he taught, and indeed the things that he did before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped. Here you just feel like this is what they were hoping for. This is what they saw, that he was the one 
who was going to redeem Israel, to deliver Israel out from under Rome's power. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find the body. They came and told us that, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. The, the, the caption over this first scene, we could say, is this, when hope is lost. So we see this playing out. We, we see two guys, and you can feel the, the despair that they're feeling, and just that uh, the hope that they had that Jesus was the one, it's gone. You, you know those moments when you hope for something, and for them it was that Jesus was the one that would deliver them, and then the crucifixion and the death, it, it just slammed the door like, like it's over. He's gone. Now what? And you hear him wrestling like what, what we saw him do, Lazarus raised from the dead, healing people, we saw this stuff with our own eyes. And what we heard him say, what he taught us, he, like, he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. We heard this with our ears. We saw it with our eyes, but now he's dead. And what's interesting about this scene as you watch it play out, as they're walking away from Jerusalem, we know the sun is it's later in the day. Sun is setting, and it's almost symbolic of just the darkness, the despair that's settling over their hearts. Hope is gone. But what do we know as we read this and, and as Luke lets us, gives us an insight? We know that, isn't it awesome, that the very one that, uh, that they were longing for, that they were missing, slips up alongside of them. And it's that one thing that changes everything. The presence of our risen Lord. And here, here's the truth as we watch this play out. When hope is lost, know this, you guys. He is near. I think that's one of the things God wants us to hear today. When hope is lost, our perspective of, of what we hoped would happen, when hope is lost, know this. He is near. And don't you love this picture of, that gives us a window into God's heart and his grace for us as he draws near to these two men? Who are these guys? Cleopas. What do we know about Cleopas? Nothing other than this story. <laughs> he's, a no, he's pretty much an ordinary guy. The other guy, we don't even know his name. So here we have two utterly ordinary guys walking back to their home. Where is Emmaus? And we know it's seven miles away, but scholars today, we don't even know, really know much about this city. There was another Emmaus further away. But really, this town didn't even hold its name to today. To today. It's another name for seven, the town that's... Pretty, pretty much a no-name town, utterly ordinary. Guys, they're not part of the inner 11, the important, you could say, important people. We don't have, we have no indication that they had special status, like this was an important meeting for Jesus to get with these guys so that they could carry the mission. Of all the places that Jesus could have been, of all the people that he could have appeared to, comes up alongside two utterly ordinary men who had lost their hope. As the sun sets on these two making their way home, all hope lost, the risen Lord draws near to them. Why them? It's who he is and it's what he does, isn't it? 
Think about your own life in those moments that you're like, Lord, what I was hoping for, it's not happening, and have I, have I fallen off your radar? Do, do you care? Do, you, do I matter? Does my little life, ordinary life, matter to you? And here God reminds us again that, yes, he's big, but he is gracious, and in those moments when one of his children loses hope, he is faithful to draw near. Other scripture gives us this promise where Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Psalm 18:34. he is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so what do you do in those moments of your own life, in your, of your own journey, when you lose hope? And I think God would have us learn from this text and say, here's the truth to hold on to. When hope is lost, know, see the risen Lord and know that he draws near. He's promised his presence as a follower, as his follower, to be close. And if the risen Lord is near, how much hope do we have? <laughs> I just love this moment. These guys, our hope was lost. Hey, what was the problem with their hope? They were hoping that he would deliver them from Israel, from, from Rome, right? They were hoping too small. Jesus is going to show up and later tell them, I, I've got a bigger plan than Rome. I came to deliver you from the dominion of sin and the nations, not just Israel, from this. I came to give you the offer into another kingdom. But, uh, so that's the first scene and truth to pack with, with us. The second scene, we see it's, we could entitle this, when, you, when We Are Confused. Here we see the... Uh, the tension moment, if you're these guys and you've just kind of dumped on this stranger what you're going through and you're, how you're upset, what do you expect him to, how do you expect him to respond? Well, I would expect him to say something like, wow, that's, I'm sorry that you guys are going through that. That's tough. That's crazy. I hope it all works out for you. We'll see you. Take care. Have a good day. Well, what do you expect as the reader? We know this is Jesus, so what are we expecting right here? Like, all right, here it comes. Here comes the big reveal. This is transfiguration part two. Jesus is going to pull back his robe, and he's going to give a little glimpse of his Shekinah glory, right? So you're like, hey, guys, you might want to put on your sunglasses right here because it's about to get bright. Jesus is going to just glory up on him right here. So that's what is shocking as we see what, what actually happens when he, he re replies to them. Check this out in Verse 25, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So he assumes the role of rabbi and he says, guys, blind spot, you missed it. And, and not only did you miss it, you're missing some key data, you're slow to believe what's been revealed. So if you're these guys, what are you thinking? Well, I'm not feeling the warm fuzzies at the moment, but he has my attention. <laughs> What's going on? And he says, verse 26, did not the Messiah, so right here he aims a question at the core of their blind spot. What was it they missed? Did not the Messiah have to suffer? You might circle suffer there in your Bible, these things, and then enter glory. What were they struggling to understand and believe? Or, or where was the blind spot in their thinking? 
that led to their confusion? What, what, what's the core of their confusion as they're trying to process what's going on in their life? And it's the cross. It's the way of suffering. And, you know, as we do life, that's often the area we struggle with too, isn't it? Especially around death. When, when death hits us and when suffering hit, hits us, it's like, okay, this is not, I, I don't get this. God, I don't get this. How does this fit in the plan? What do you do when you're struggling with confusion? And, and here it is. When we awaken to the presence of the risen Lord, He leads us into clarity. And look what He does, verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. And this is significant. So, before he reveals his identity, he says, guys, go back to the Old Testament, and I'm going to show you the cross there. I'm going to show you that, that the Messiah had to suffer and then glory, and that this is the path for every Jesus follower. It's not come to Jesus and then glory. It's come to Jesus and then take up a cross and suffer. And suffering is the way down that then leads to the resurrection power and the path up. If we fail to get this, we will struggle in life. We will. But if we listen and hear him say, and the risen Lord leads us through our confusion to this clarity, especially around the cross and the way up, the suffering and then the glory, the resurrection power, we'll get it and we'll be empowered to walk through, um, through the, the suffering moments of life with hope um, and with his help. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for this talk? Man, I, I wish, this is one, wish we could have had, these guys were mic'd up and we could have just heard Jesus, but I'm sure he went back all the way to the, the when he says Moses, he's talking about the Pentateuch, first five books, plus history, plus so right on through the prophets, but I'm sure he went to, you know, uh, the Exodus, or, or even before that, Abraham, and, and the promise that God would bless through Abraham, these nations, and, and Jesus saying, I'm the fulfillment of that promise, guys, and and then the Exodus and that Passover moment, just saying, guys, I'm the Passover lamb. And then the tabernacle and where God had his people come to him at, in worship through the sacrificial system and saying, I'm the satisfaction of that, where you don't have to offer sacrifices anymore because of the cross. And then Genesis, or, uh, Psalm 22, where we see this person suffering and Jesus saying, I am this guy. The, the cross is this moment. And uh, Psalm 23, the good shepherd, and Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. And Psalm 24, the king of glory, Jesus saying, that's me. And Isaiah 53, verse 5, he, saying, that's the cross. It, it was predicted 700 years and uh, many more years ahead. That's the cross. This had to happen. The, uh, I love the, the reality that the very thing that had destroyed their hope, the death of Jesus, was the very thing that was the source of their hope. Isn't that awesome? Like the very reason they're upset Jesus had died is the very reason that they have, will have hope eternal. Isn't that a neat picture as you think about your life? And those of you who have followed Christ for some years, often it's those very moments that 
create the greatest pain, and you're like, man, I, I just don't get it. But we follow God faithfully, and looking back, we realize that very moment, God was most at work. <laughs> it's who he is, what he does. And one, one of the side notes in this text that, that's helpful for us as we study the Bible is the, uh, the understanding that when we read the Old Testament, we read it through the lens of, of who Jesus is and what he taught us. And it's the principle, you can, hermeneutics is the, uh, the study of interpreting the Bible. This is a key hermeneutic principle and it is this, the, the principle of progressive revelation. So how do you interpret the Old Testament? Well, progressive, we have further revelation. We have more information. God's given us more revelation than David had. And so, and that primary revelation is Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. And so we read the Old Testament through the enlightenment of the New Testament. And, and the teaching of Christ specifically. So one of the questions, if one, I can imagine, probably not, but what if one of these guys walking along the road to Emmaus had said, Jesus, quick question. Uh, should we be praying the imprecatory Psalms? And you know, every once in a while you read one of the Psalms where David is just unleashing on one of his enemies, like, Lord, make his teeth fall out. Make his camel die. Let his camel die and fall on top of him. <laughs> Just praying all these curses down on his enemy. And you're like, Should we be praying like that here? And, and what do you imagine Jesus saying? I'm sure he'd answer with a question. How's that line up with my teaching in Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, how you're to treat your enemies? Like, okay, no, we're, we're to love our enemies. So that kind of praying is not something we do in this dispensation. Say, well, then what good is Psalm, one of those imprecatory psalms to us? And I think Jesus would say, it still points to me. How? Okay, we identify with David. We feel that. Can you imagine what Jesus felt on the cross as a human having these sinful people crucifying the sinless one? Can you imagine the, the justice in him that must have wanted to say, die? But what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. And we see the glory of Christ, the glory of his compassion, the glory of his love in the imprecatory psalm. And, and we say, Lord, help me be like you. <laughs> I feel like David, but help me be like you and pray forgive them. And, and we, we see Christ even in this, uh, this text. Okay, moving on to uh, the third scene. It must have been a quick seven miles to Emmaus as they're listening to the Lord teach they're almost home, and we pick it up in verse 28 as it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as, as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So the, this scene, you could put this caption over it. What happens when we invite him to stay for dinner? And by dinner, I mean an ordinary moment of life. What happens when these two utterly ordinary guys invite the risen Lord to stay for dinner? And you stop and think about that. They didn't know who he was yet, but he knew who he was. And I'm sure it's safe to say he had a to-do list, things to do before he left. What happens when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords gets invited to dinner at some very ordinary 
for them this was Monday, so I, I, or this was their Monday, or after their day of worship, so like our Monday. So I picture mac and cheese on the table, Monday, dinner. What's he do? And I love what comes next. I think it's a beautiful glimpse of the heart of our God, his grace, and, and what he, how he feels about us. As it says, they urged him strongly, stay with us. So he went in and he stayed with them. This is the gift of friendship, of intimacy, of relationship with the living God. And the truth to cling in this, as we look at this scene, is this. When we invite him to dinner, he joins us. The living God desires our fellowship. And I just, you stop and look at that and think, what a humble God that we serve. And our, uh, it was good to see Evan back on the drums this morning. And as he was, he's been out with a new baby, little Emmy. Can't wait to meet her. But I, as I was seeing Evan there and just thinking, man, um, his life just r- radically changed. Because what's he thinking about all the time now? His primary focus is that girl, that little girl, and protecting her and seeing her grow up safely. And during church, I'm sure he's thinking, can't wait to get home and hold my girl. (laughs) And then we sang the song, Good, Good Father, and I thought, our earthly love is but a glimpse of our heavenly Father's love. And he delights in being with you. Isn't that awesome to think about? And it's not the big moments so much, I think, as it's those little moments. It's the Monday evening dinner, sitting at the kitchen table watching it snow and saying, Lord, would you join me here for this moment? And he's like, I'm with you. It's those moments just taking a walk outside and seeing his creation and just rejoicing and celebrating him, praising him for that, or being with friends and family and knowing he's there with you in those moments, his grace coming through people, and the gift of life is him. So those simple, ordinary moments together, and this is a promise that we have into eternity. And what a, what a precious truth, especially in those moments when we're feeling alone. Some of you today may be listening online and feeling isolated. And just to know that the living God He's with you. He will not leave you. There's an intimacy that um, even human intimacy can't touch as we seek him and long for him. I love the, the longing in the heart of these guys. They're like, please stay with us. Please stay with us. When we seek him, he is faithful to draw near to us. This is our God. And so what happens next? Verse 30 and 32 It says, when he was at the table, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us? Quick question is, how did they recognize him? Some scholars think it might have been the light of the home as they walked in there and the candle at the table or whatever. Some feel it was uh, when he took, he assumed the authority of the host. And they just like, this is kind of weird. He's breaking bread like it's his bread. And he's praying like this is his house. 
Some feel it, it was uh, maybe God just lifted their, opened their eyes and helped them. It was a supernatural thing. But I can't think, and it seems like Luke is hinting at, it was when he broke the bread. And I just love this picture because if this was it, as he takes that bread and breaks it, they're seeing his, the scars in his hands. And being reminded of him saying, my body will be broken for you. They're being reminded of a love that's infinite where he took our sin to the cross, died on the cross for their sin, for our sin. But now, these hands aren't dead. These hands aren't silent or still. These hands are alive and they're breaking bread. Hope. And this picture of bread, the risen Savior breaking bread for these two utterly ordinary guys is a beautiful picture of our risen Lord who continues to break the bread for us, hand us his word, which fuels us to do what he's called us to do. Isn't that awesome? It's like, guys, have a bite, and then let's get busy doing good because we got some living to do. Amen? I just love this picture. So what do these guys do? Sure enough, they get up and they go. Because when you've been with the risen Lord, you got some energy to live, don't you? You can hike seven miles back into Jerusalem with uh, nighttime falling on you because you've seen him. Living with the risen Lord in view fills us with energy to do life. And so they return at once to Jerusalem. Verse 33, there they found the eleven. And those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So this is the unknown sighting we don't know about, but Peter evidently saw him. Verse 35 says, then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. When we live awake to the reality that our risen Lord is alive, there's energy to do life. And as they hurry back to Jerusalem, I just love that picture. I think about our own lives and just how neat it is that, okay, when we've lost hope, he brings hope. When we are confused, he brings clarity. When we're feeling alone, he brings intimacy. But now he, we get to go do that for other people. Isn't that cool? If we go out and when somebody's hopeless, as we're living in light of the risen Lord, we, we remind them there's hope. He's alive. We bring clarity when they're struggling with suffering. We bring clarity through his word and sharing that with them. And when people are alone and feeling um, like, no, does God care? Does anyone care? We become his presence as we go just be with them. It's awesome what God does. And, and so today as we are uh, working through this text, maybe you're identifying with these guys. You're like, John, I'm in that season of the road to Emmaus where I'm struggling with hope. I'm feeling the despair, or I'm lacking clarity on what God's doing in my life, and it's creating confusion, or, uh, you know, I'm feeling alone. And I, I would just, I, I sense the Lord whispering, John, what the body needs, what we all need, what I need today is just a reminder that the risen Lord is alive, and He is with us. And it's time to celebrate Easter in the dead of winter, in January, as just that reminder, every day is an Easter Sunday because every day our, our Lord lives. Amen? He is alive. And because He is alive, when hope is gone, we know He draws near. He is alive and when confusion marks our way and we are struggling to see what's ahead, 
he brings clarity. And because he is alive, we have the promise and the assurance we will never be alone as we follow him. As we pray together, I just invite you to pray along with me. Maybe put my prayer into your own words as, as you talk to the Father and, and as we worship him together. Father, we just come into your presence now through Christ and just praise you for the hope we have. Jesus, I thank you for this promise of your presence with us, this glimpse of, of this moment in time that you've preserved for us, for these two, just seeing these two ordinary guys like us, and then you drawing near to them in their moments of need. And I thank you for the ways that you do that for us. Thank you for the clarity that you bring through your word when we're struggling with making sense of life. Thank you for the joy of knowing you and just the intimacy of friendship and fellowship that we have with you. I pray for each person here today, Lord, and if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray you'd open their eyes to who you are and just give them the faith to trust you as their Savior, to believe that you died for them on the cross, rose from the dead, and offer eternal life. I pray for all of us who do know you as, as our Savior that, that we would live with this truth in view that you are with us, that you're alive, you stand with us, you walk with us, that we are eternally safe in your presence, eternally loved. Thank you for this. Encourage our hearts today, Lord, and let us go out of here with the hope of Easter to go be your presence to those around us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.